Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here with me. Excited to talk about all of the things here in the Freedom Hut, all the stuff that matters to you, to me. Hopefully matters to everybody, given what's going on in the world right now. Uh, 844-900-2825. If you want to call in, 844-900-BUCK. And so here's here's a little bit of a roadmap as to where we're going today. We have a whole lot of discussion about the FBI, DOJ, Comey, text messages between uh, different FBI, DOJ folks talking about Trump, Russia, collusion, investigation. I know, it's a big mess, right? There's so much... Ooh, so much going on there. We've seen some new text messages. We'll talk about that. Still have to find some text messages that have been lost. We will discuss that. And then just the notion of what's going on at the top reaches of the DOJ and the FBI, whether we're going to get some answers. The release, the memo movement that we should not forget about. And then we'll discuss the latest on immigration. I have some interesting immigration thoughts to share with you that are taking into account what we know as of today uh, with the Democrats, what their plans are, everything else. Later on the show, we'll be joined by uh, immigration expert Andrew Arthur from Center for Immigration Studies and Sean Davis from The Federalist, our buddy, who will be breaking down some of this uh, backroom deal, underhanded, Comey, handed off, classified to somebody that he now says is his lawyer. I I'm glad we have a lot of time together because it's just a lot for us to discuss. And and uh, as a way of putting this into a, a framework for discussion, instead of just sometimes I like to just jump right in and go, oh, you know, what's going on? The Schumer shutdown, right, last week. Oh, the Schumer shutdown. The shutdown showdown. I wanted to start with a a concept, if you will, and th- and then everything – that follows this, well, most of what will follow this hour, put it in the, put it in, in a column in your mind under what I'm about to say. Here's what it is. Which of these two scenarios, and now put, every, put everything out of, your, out of your mind about, you know, what your preferred outcome would be, and really just be honest with yourself. Which of these two scenarios is more likely? that a presidential candidate that really was laughed at by the establishment that nobody saw coming even when he was the even when he was the front runner they thought it wasn't serious it's but but that a a presidential uh out, well president and then before that an outsider in the campaign was part of some international conspiracy involving uh 
cutouts and maybe even payoffs and uh, run almost like a like an like a complicated intelligence operation to throw the results of the U.S. election, the most important political election in the world that already is involved in already has a, a multi-billion dollar media apparatus trying to convince people of one point of view or another as to who to vote for and who to support and all the different issues. But that that Trump and his people came up with this this truly vast conspiracy, and that would be the word, a vast conspiracy, or that people who are ideologically opposed to Trump and all that he stands for, who are in some positions of authority within the United States government, a handful, maybe a dozen, maybe less, figured that they would be able to use their discretion to get information that might end the Trump presidency or stop the Trump presidency. I'm sorry, uh, might prevent the Trump presidency or stop the uh, Trump presidency once it had started. And which of those two seems like it's a more realistic possibility? On, On the one hand, you have this enormous conspiracy that has almost no chance of working that makes no sense that People will tell you in the same in the same sentence, Trump didn't want to win, but he was willing to have his you know stooges work through the Kremlin. Or that there are some people at the FBI and the DOJ who and we already know there have been leaks, almost certainly from FBI and DOJ that are criminal felony leaks. People can go to prison for. But that some of them figured that they would. Put their hand on the scale, so to speak, in favor of Hillary, the future boss. And with all of the access and accolades and ideological affirmation that that would provide. I mean, we really need to start from which of those two things is more likely. You have an an entire slew of cable news channels, major newspapers and different news organizations. everything, who are all running with this Trump international conspiracy thing. And then they will turn around and laugh at those of us who are saying, uh, "Okay, do you want to give me some explanation here for what was going on with these DOJ FBI folks? You want to tell me how it is that we've we have uncovered Trump haters who happen to be not just working for the FBI or the DOJ, but intimately, closely involved with exactly the political investigations that are at issue here. Hillary's emails and the Trump Russia thing. And they're telling us, well, this is a coincidence. I mean, if you were to turn on CNN, I mean, they it's just CNN is one long uh, ticker. It's one long, uh, you know, the, the bottom of the screen might as well just be, you know, and today, you know, Mueller probe still going. Mueller planning more interviews. Mueller had lunch an hour ago. Mueller is going to brush his teeth in two hours. Mueller, I mean, that's. They just keep running with this, running with this, running with this. And on the other side, you have well, a whole lot of second. Can we get some answers to some questions? You know, can, can somebody tell me what the heck a, a secret society is in the context of FBI? Just, I mean, you got a member of Congress who's asking the question. We knew that Strzok and Page had an intense anti-Trump bias. 
Uh, and that's okay so long as they check it at the door right. and do their job. But we learned today in, in the thousands of text messages that we reviewed that perhaps they may not have done that. There's certainly a factual basis to question whether or not they acted on that bias. We learned today about information that after, in the immediate aftermath of his election, that there may have been a secret society of folks within the Department of Justice and the FBI to include Page and Strzok that would be working against him. He got this text message about how they're members of the secret society after Trump wins. Now, absent all the other stuff we know, absent the text about the insurance policy and and the fact that these are not these are people who were in a place to do something about that. Right. Some some guy who's you know living in, in a shack out in the middle of Montana saying that he's going to weaponize the. FISA program against Trump is, is probably not going to have a lot of luck doing that, right? But someone who's at the very top of the FBI or the Department of Justice, yeah. Yeah, they're actually going to have a pretty pretty easy time. That's, that's what I think will be so shocking for many, easy time doing that. And with the expectation that not only will they get away with it, but even if they're caught, there won't be any major sanctions. I am I am one of the few who will prepare you for this. You know, a lot I listen to a lot of the stuff that's out there. All I do is read, listen, watch, really. That's like my life. It's amazing that I haven't just turned into some kind of immobilized blob like Jabba the Hutt, because all I want to do is watch, read, and and listen. So I can take in as much information as possible. And I know that right now the the more popular thing to say. You know, the stuff that'll get all the retweets and everything is, yeah, people from the FBI are going to be marched out in handcuffs because of this. People are going to prison. I've even heard some congressmen say it. And I'm here to say, okay, if what I think is true is true, well, then I hope that happens. I hope that's right. But what's much more likely is that we will see corruption in the FBI, but it will be politicized corruption and not what would be prosecutable as criminal. And I know people don't want to hear that, but it's true. And then you have to deal with the fact that just like with Sally Yates, just like with some of these other senior figures we have seen from within the government who have shown us who they are, they're not reviled. Comey just got some job teaching at university. I'm sure Comey's speaking fee is six figures. And guess what? He'll get it, you know? GE and, you know, name it, all these companies with these left-wing boards, they're going to hire Comey. They're going to take care of him. He just has to wait out the Mueller probe, and then they'll hire him at CNN. You know, they're not, they're not going to face any real consequences, even when we find out the truth, because here's the truth that the Democrats don't want to talk about, or here's what they don't want us to figure out. Even if the memo, the, the whole release the memo movement with the FISA program, right, we're talking about the possibility, the likelihood, some are saying now the certainty, that there is proof, and members of Congress have seen it, that Christopher Steele's Fusion GPS dossier was the basis for using a counterintelligence process, investigative, not even investigative, just spying process, right? using the intelligence community to get information on Trump's people and Trump during a presidential campaign. Here's what's so crazy. Even if we can prove it, the Democrats will say, well, but, you know, it was it was within their discretion. There were there were other sources that we don't have to name. They'll be redacted in that document that say. Or or that led us to believe that this was something that should be done. Remember the IRS? Remember Benghazi? 
Where has the accountability been? We keep operating from this frame of mind whereby if we can prove it to the other side, if we can prove that there was wrongdoing here, a sense of of common decency and Americanness will finally force them to stop. And what I'm here to tell you is that from everything that I see, it literally does not matter what is in the memo. Most Democrats that have power and influence will find some way to argue that it's not that big a deal. It doesn't change anything. Mueller still has to continue his work. A mistake. It was just a mistake that was made at the FBI. Do you remember what they did with the IRS targeting? It was just an honest mistake. Well, we're not idiots, right? They were only targeting conservatives. Oh, they targeted one non-conservative group, so now we'll put everyone on TV saying it wasn't just conservatives that were targeted. I mean, I've seen this I've seen this before. And so I'm just trying to pair I want answers, and we have to get the truth anyway, because we're not going to convince the whole left. We're not going to convince the never-Trumpers, the hashtag resistance, no matter what's in that memo, no matter what the truth is of the Russia fusion, GPS, all this crap. But if we want to maintain control of the House, of the Senate, if we want President Trump to have another term, if we want success, not just for this administration, but for the American people, despite all the efforts of a, of a lot of Americans to the contrary, if we want success, we need enough Americans to know the truth. We need enough of our fellow citizens to know what really happened there that at least we can hold off the crazies. Let's not think for a second here that there's there's going to be a moment of, oh, my gosh, it all this is not going to be end of the end of Scooby Doo, this memo. I promise you they're not going to pull the mask off. And, you know, if it wasn't for you kids, that's not going to happen. And I'm seeing a lot and I'm going to play the audio for you today. And I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. I'm just telling you that I know the way that this goes. I worked at CNN. I know how they play the game. It's dirty as dirty can be. There's a hundred different ways that they'll spin it and try to. Cover. I mean, look, you got Comey here saying that the guy that leaked the memo for him is now his lawyer. Come on. I didn't go to law school, but I know enough about lawyers to tell you that you don't just get to say, oh, it's privileged because the person's a lawyer. But they have no they have no integrity to protect. And when you have no integrity to protect, which is the truth of a Democrat party and the hashtag resistance, you've got a lot of options. There's a lot that's on the table for you. And that's what we're up against. So let's we, we will dig in now. We'll dig in this hour. Let's see what what questions are out there, what new information has been brought forward. But I, I don't want us to get. Uh, don't believe that this is all going to be solved in a month when the memo comes out. It might be very important. It might be very helpful for us. Don't get me wrong, but it's not going to be over. It'll be a victory, but it won't be the end of the war. That's what I'm trying to say. Because I'm seeing a lot of people. Oh, when the memo comes out, it's all over. Really? The memo comes out, it's all over. Look at all the stuff that came out about Hillary. Look at all the stuff that, I mean, these people, these Democrats, these leftists, there is nothing, there is nothing that I put past them. All right, we'll we'll get into some of the specifics of what I'm talking about here in just a few minutes. Stay with me. What's making a lot of news is the the five months of missing text messages, which we'll continue to to, uh, investigate ourselves. But, I mean, the fact that Loretta Lynch knew before she made the big announcement that, oh, you know, because of potential conflict of interest meeting Bill Clinton, I'm going to let James Comey decide that. All the editing of that memo, the production of that thing began two months before they actually 
interviewed Secretary Clinton, uh, that's a little bit of a problem. No, there's so many things that indicate a deep-seated corruption at the highest levels of the FBI. Peter Strzok, who helped run the Russian investigation, with all these text messages between him and Lisa Page, where they talk about Trump should not be elected president, we need an insurance policy, he should lose $100 million to zero. Now we find out five months of text messages between these two individuals come up missing. This is, this is, you know, this is like the dog ate my homework. With, you know, with the excuse they give, this is something that is just should not take place. How corrupt is it allowed to be before we've all just had too much? You know, how many of these questions, and look, I, I give Representatives Johnson and Jordan there, Ron Johnson and Jim Jordan, credit for putting it out there for all of us and, and speaking plainly about it. But uh, this is just an outrage. It really is. And I don't sit here and do outrage theater, right? A lot of people say, oh, you know, the country's going to hell, and, rah, and they just yell. And yeah, every night the country's going to hell. But this is really bad. Right? This is This is serious stuff. This is... The FBI perhaps trying to throw a presidential election and then trying to end a presidency when it couldn't throw the election. That that seems to me to be a big deal. And I don't hear any obvious responses or answers to any of these questions. Uh, this notion that five months of text messages could just disappear and that, that we're supposed to accept that. That's come on. That's crazy. Right. I've been saying to people, look, I, I think I think that they are going to they're going to find these somehow because they have to right there because this is not an acceptable uh, thing for them to say. I, I promise if they were doing a you know white collar criminal investigation, five months of text messages disappearing would not be a way that you get out of this. Speaking of which, you know, you got uh, right now as I'm talking to you, uh, pre, speaking of white collar criminal investigations, Preet Bharara who is the former U.S. attorney for the city of New York. A very big job. Does a lot of uh, Wall Street prosecution stuff. He's on CNN now. He's hashtag resistance. You know, another guy that was, oh, he's nonpartisan. He's just the great. And then when they when Trump fired him, we see, oh, no, actually, he hates Trump, and he's hashtag resistance. What about this FBI anti-Trump collusion scheme is not believable? And what are they what are they clinging to here? And what is the counterpoint? That's what I'm really trying to ask. If I were sitting, I'd go, oh, yeah, Trump. Oh, yeah, Trump. You didn't do it. You know, people just they mock and they deride and they say that, you know, you're some Trumpster or everything else. But they won't answer the question. They won't deal with the facts. And I'm talking about real stuff here. Oh, yeah, the FBI just happened to lose five months of the text messages of these two. People say, oh, Buck, what are they? Colluding with the IT department? Um, yeah, that's a lot easier than setting up uh, Russian cutouts to go to WikiLeaks to, to in some crazy scheme to throw an election that was never going to work and for which the Trump administration had no role to play. WikiLeaks wants to help Trump because Russia wants WikiLeaks to help Trump. There's nothing that Trump has to do there. Why take the risk? Those of you who've been listening to me for, gosh, I've been now on, on Premier Networks for a year here. No, I've been saying this all along. What they're accusing Trump of isn't even a smart, bad scheme, right? It's not even intelligent scheming, underhanded scheming. It's just, it's complete nonsense. And, and here I've played uh, Jim Jordan, Ron Johnson. Oh, the, the anti-Trumpers 
are running these investigations, and now their text messages are disappearing, and the FBI is fighting the release of information? Why? He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. You have this insurance policy in the spring of 2016, and then the day after the election, the day after what they really, really didn't want to have happen, there's a text exchange between these two FBI agents, these two supposed to be objective, fact-centric FBI agents saying, perhaps this is the first meeting of the secret society. So, of course, I'm going to want to know what secret society are you talking about, because you're supposed to be investigating objectively the person who just won the Electoral College. So, yeah, I'm going to want to know. Yeah, I'm going to want to know, too. I'm with Trey Gowdy on this one. I, the day after the election, are they going to pretend that there's some other secret society that, you know, the what is it, like at Harvard, the, the Hasty Pudding or the Porcellian or one of these things, right? Those are, the, I think, the right? Those are the Harvard. You guys, you have no idea. Okay, forget that. Yeah, but <laughs> secret societies, like Skull and Bones at Yale. There we go which they made a really bad movie about years ago. And I actually used to row crew. I remember seeing the movie, and there's a crew scene in it. And it's, it's like, laughable. They're, like, talking to each other. They, they're rowing terribly. You don't – anyway. Called The Skulls. Very, very bad. Very, very bad movie. Uh, people used to say I looked like the guy in it, Joshua Jackson. But I was, I was like, please, Joshua Jackson's got nothing on me. So – there you get Trey Gowdy, and he's like, how about we get some answers on it? And I'm with you about – I'm with him, and I know you feel the same way. Look, I, I come here and I try to give as much of the uh, – I try to shed as much light as I can from the perspective of somebody who's seen some of how this stuff works on the inside. Uh, I think I'm one of the very few people on, on radio for sure who actually – understands what FISA is and how it works and it has worked in that world. So that's an advantage that is useful, I think, um, especially as we go forward, because Democrats are going to say, oh, well, this is normal or this is not. And I get to raise my hand and be like, actually, I know what's normal. Thank you very much. Uh, and what I was saying before about how don't I'm just trying to. That's frustrating. It's frustrating because I know what my fellow conservatives want to hear on this. And I know that what people want to hear is often going to be what gets, you know, what, what lights up the board in here and what everyone's going to want to hear and talk about. I, I couldn't be more invested in getting to the bottom of this. I mean, I was actually, I've been pulsing sources. I have for the last week trying to find out as much as I can about this memo. I just don't like to overpromise and oversell because it's, useful for my own purposes in the short term, right? I'm not trying to get people to listen to me because I'm, oh, my gosh, you know. I can sit here all day and tweet out, too, oh, they're, it's just a matter of days now before they're marched out in handcuffs. And I'm like, I, I, it, I'm telling you, it's very unlikely anybody here is going to be marched out in handcuffs. I'm not saying they shouldn't be, and I'm not saying I don't want them to be, and I'm not saying they can't be, but let's stay with where we are right now in this process, which is, which is nailing down the narrative of what really happened, the truth of what really happened here on an issue that, that matters a lot to all of us. Look, it seems to me like if some of these FBI, DOJ, never-Trumpers got their way or get their way now or you know would have been able to do what they were planning to do, this secret society, this insurance policy that's been talked about, 
Can you imagine if this president actually was thrown into the presidency was thrown into crisis, and what would happen if Trump was uh, removed from office as a result of what was unearthed in some of this? Or, I mean, the markets would tank. You know, those of you who are retired and trying to live off of, uh, you know, your retirement savings or uh, you know, Social Security, it it would th- throw our economy into a tailspin. And what it would just do to the to the country right now, it'd be so damaging. These people want it anyway. These FBI, DOJ, deep state, never Trumpers. They want it anyway. So I, I completely understand what's at stake. And I'm with you on this 100%. And I want to try to get as close to the truth as we can here. And like I said, I'm now, I'm now going to the point where I'm like, look, I know that for some of you in the government, you're not really, you know, talking to somebody even like me that you trust, you know, talking to someone who's technically in the media is a tricky thing. But if there's something here, we got to know, you know, this isn't this isn't, oh, I just want to know stuff because I want to know because I want to scoop. No, this is about the future of the country. And if this was really happening the way I think it was at DOJ or FBI, we need to know about it. And that's why the memo needs to be released. But I'm also trying to prepare all of us for what to expect here if the memo is released. And I just saw this. This is from CNN in the last hour, a CNN uh, White House. I think it's a White House reporter. uh, Senior congressional correspondent. Pardon me. I thought it was senior White House reporter. CNN has so many, you know, senior whatevers. I'm like, is anybody not the senior, you know, senior uh, brown haired reporter on the front lawn today of the White House? I mean, you know, is it? Does everyone get to play? Put the senior before their name. I'd also note that I, 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 it's no surprise why their ratings now. Maybe they were good during the Never Trump, the height of the Never Trump era in the election and afterwards. But every night now they have panels where the panels are discussing Mueller's planned questioning of of, sus, of subjects in the investigation, not suspects, but subjects in the investigation of the Russia collusion thing. And I'm like, they don't know anything. They don't know when it's even going to happen. They don't know what's going to be asked. This is just all speculation. But it's fever swamp speculation. It gets the the never Trump. It gets the Trump derangement syndrome afflicted left excited. Ooh, ooh. who's Mueller going to talk to now? You know, I hear I hear you know Mueller's going to subpoena a limo, a limo driver from Atlantic City and ask tr- questions about Trump in the eighties. Ooh, ooh, you know, who cares? I guess the people stuck in airports and on treadmills watching CNN care, but nonetheless. Here's what uh, CNN senior senior congressional correspondent uh, put out in the last hour. Uh, Manu, Manu Raju. I actually don't know Manu, so there's that. Never worked with Manu. Trump to declassify Nunes memo if the House approves release, according to Evan Perez. Oh, I'm sorry. See, he's the senior D.C. judicial analyst or something over there. You know, they got a lot of senior something or others. And the White House, a White House spokesman has said no decision has been made on whether to allow the memo to be classified to release House Intel uh, or to release it. House Intel has to vote, giving president five days to allow it to be declassified. Uh, So we'll see. Look, I I want this memo. I want this memo out there. I want to see what's in it. But they're going to play games with it. They're going to redact it. It cannot be a memo that is entirely analysis of classified information where we don't get any. There has to be something there beyond I read this and this is what I think. And I'm worried that may be what the memo is, you know, that 
this is something that's been pulled together. It'll be like when one one uh, you know one party in Congress puts out a paper based on their investigation, and it's just it's a almost like a partisan policy document, right? We've been investigating. Here's what we find, and it's only Republicans or only Democrats that sign on to it. Doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that the impact of it is much less. We need to see what the actual basis is here. But to, to work through this for a moment together and to understand what's really coming here. And, and if you want me to, I mean, tell me. I mean, I, I could I could sit here and say that, you know, Strzok and Page and Comey, you know, they're all going to be in handcuffs, you know, any day now. And just watch, just watch the... Uh, watch the ratings soar based on that. A lot of people are playing that game now. Oh, that's all. They're all coming. It's all going down. Yeah, these Democrats, they, they play dirty and they, they go down hard. It's not easy. It's going to take a lot. Let's say that the memo, which, and this is what I've been told by sources, including sources whose sources have read the memo. Um, you know, let's say that it's because, and by the way, they're also, you got members of Congress who have read it going on TV saying this too, right? So it doesn't really, this is now all turning into a big confirmation loop. And what we've heard is what we're hearing and what we're hearing is what we've heard. Let's say that it is a few, there's a few lines in there. It says, you know, a, the FBI requests a, a, a FISA warrant for, you know, Blacked out, blacked out, blacked out, some stuff there. But for the be based on intelligence gleaned from the following source, and it's the Fusion GPS dossier, which is an unclassified opposition research document paid for by the Hillary campaign. And we've, it's been published. I've read every word of it. It's, it's all out there, right? Let's say that's what it is. Okay. The political consequences would be severe, I think. This would this would hurt Democrats. This would hurt the anti-Trump narrative, and it would be a great thing, and it would be vindication, and it would be uh, a wonderful day for America. Okay, and and I think it may be coming. So I'm not trying to say it's not that it's nothing or that it's unimportant. I'm just I don't want us to over or to to get ahead of what that will mean, because yes, it will be great. Those of us who are honest and looking at the facts as they come out and basing our assessment of this effort to overturn a presidency. I mean, this is big. For, this has never happened in my lifetime. Right? This is a big deal. But it'll be a, a massive data point in favor of you and me and all those of us who have been sitting here being like CNN, New York Times, they've lost, they've lost their minds. They're playing dirty against Trump. There's a deep state element. All what we're saying will be proven to be true. But the consequences for those involved in this They'll say that we thought the dossier was we thought the dossier was uh, was good work. We thought that it was based on good leads. We, you know, they can always fall back, and this is the problem with government. This is the problem with deep state bureaucracy. Stupidity is always a defense in government. Stupidity will get you out of a lot of stuff, right? Not being what I mean, not being good at your job. Oh, you know, we made a mistake, bad judgment call. That's what they're going to say about this now. Does that wipe away the politicization? Is that? Of course not. But it, it means that no, no one's going, look, I've had Andy McCarthy on. I've asked him this question specifically. He's a former federal prosecutor. I'm, I'm telling it to you straight because I respect all of you who listen to the show. I know what would get everyone fired. Yeah, that's right. You know, tweeting, oh, they're all going to be frog marched out of the FBI. It's not going to happen. 
The only remedy here for the deep state corruption, the only remedy for all of what we're seeing once it's really provable. Right now, we have a lot of indicators. We have evidence, but we haven't proven the case yet. But the only thing we can do once we get to that point is a political remedy. And that means, as I said, those who have their eyes open and are willing to listen to reason and facts will be brought over to our side, which will strengthen the Republican majority, which will strengthen the Trump administration, will weaken the media's ability to construct narratives to stand in the way of what has been a great first year for Trump, and I'm hoping will be an even better 2018. That's the real payoff here. That's really what we can look forward to. But just don't don't think that this is going to be, you know, the... The scene at the end of the cop movie where, like, all the dirty cops, you know, it's like one after another. There's a montage of them, like, you know, hey, you know, why'd you have to tell them? Why'd you have to sell me out? And the cops are all, you know, like the end of Serpico or something. Well, actually, Serpico is a very different ending, but you know what I mean. That's the general. That's, that's the gist of it. I was actually thinking of American Gangster there where the crooked cops get caught in the end. Uh, so, anyway, I, I've got to talk to you about immigration, too. I know we spent a lot of time today already on this issue of the, the memo and release the memo and what I think will come of all of this. I didn't spend too much time on the text messages, the new text messages, although we mentioned the secret society. I want to know what secret society is supposed to mean. Also, Congress has got to get these. We've got to have open testimony for these members because it is a politic, it's going to be a political issue. Dealing with corruption, trying to use the law and, and, and criminal justice to solve these issues as a conservative is always going to be, it's, it's tricky. There's a lot of ways that they can dirty things up, muddy up the waters, and make it really hard to get any justice, any real satisfaction. Political solutions are much more realistic for this. Uh, if you think I'm wrong, I want to hear that too, but uh, I think I'm right. 844-900-2825. We will talk about immigration. I'm going to share a, a really powerful op-ed with you in the next hour, a really an op-ed on immigration that I think will maybe, uh, it's not going to change the way you view the debate, but it'll leave a real impression on you. That much I can say. So that's coming up in the next hour. We'll be right back. All right, lots of lines lit. I had a feeling that would happen. So, uh, Let's let's hear from all of you, team. Thank you very much for listening and for those of you who want to call in. If you want to write in, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, great place to go. Please follow the page as well. Kenny in Boston. What up, Kenny? Hello, Buck, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for bringing up that aspect that nobody is going to go down for this. Oh, okay. Well, thank I'm glad that somebody, you know, I feel like people get mad at me when I tell them this. I, I said this back at the Blaze when the Benghazi thing. I said, I promise you no one's going to jail. And this was right after, you know, Obama won re-election. I said, I promise you no one's going to jail for Benghazi because the fix is in. And that's what we learned, right? Kenny, the fix, you know, Comey and all these people, they know what they're doing in terms of how they stay out of legal jeopardy, for the most part, because they cover each other. Of course, there's always plans B, C, D, E for anybody who goes down. And anybody who would go down is going to be some low-rung person. That's right. You know, you know the, the, we, we might get the, the Comey equivalent of a, of a Papadopoulos, you know what I'm saying? Or, or Comey's equivalent of a Papadopoulos. That's, and who cares? I feel bad for that guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. What I wanted to really know is what is in it for these people that they're obviously tearing at the fabric of the integrity of the United States – by conducting this, these are career 
um, you know, government workers, what are they getting out of it? Kenny, what, that's, a, getting money? that's a phenomenal question. Um, and it's one that I've actually been thinking I was going to write. I write sometimes for The Hill and, and you know, when I, I am busy these days with the with the radio show, but I try to I'm going to be trying to write more. Uh, but I was going to write on this issue, actually. So maybe it's a good idea for me to talk about it a little bit first. This is a, a very important question. Uh, first of all, before I get into the specifics of it, think about it this way, Kenny. Why do government employees, you know, leak sensitive national security stuff? The Washington Post, The New York Times. and other? It's an incredibly dumb thing to do. Right. They get they don't get any money out of it. They don't get anything. out. So why do they do that? Hubris is a big part of it. Um, sometimes there's an ideological component of it, which I think is a, can be a very big part of it. Right. Why were they leaking during the Bush administration? Because they were so convinced that George W. Bush was a danger to the country and a danger to national security, that anything they could do to hurt Bush. Any, and, and when I say they, it's a small group of people, but a small group in the government that has the access can do a lot of damage. Right. So we've already established it's a great question, but let's make sure that we're clear that there are lots of folks who do really dumb things in the government for ideological reasons. Right. Leaking is a great example of it. Le- I'm not talking about leaking classified stuff that they can get, you know, sent to prison for a long time for. OK, so that's one thing. Specifically on Trump, look at how many look at what Sally Yates did and look at Comey's true self, which has come out even more now that he's no longer FBI director. If they, in fact, believe if they had the courage of their convictions, if they believe that Trump is a danger to this country, a danger to the international community. If they really take that on, then why wouldn't they? If, if you know, do you see what I'm saying? If you take it from their perspective, if their brain has been so rotted by this anti-Trump hatred, of course they would abuse their power and try to stop him because they would be morally obligated to do so. Do you see what I'm saying? And I know it's crazy, but if you take it from the perspective of a Trump derangement syndrome sufferer, and you happen to be a senior FBI person or senior DOJ person, well, you you better step in and do something because somebody has to. Do you see what I'm saying? I know it's crazy, but it's important. Yes, I, I can see what you're saying. Uh, you know, the, the thing about them losing all these text messages and stuff like that and all this stuff and information, and obviously they must be relying on the media to cover from them because doesn't this show that they – are either A, incompetent, or B, corrupt. Yes. And the answer, by the way, Kenny, is yes, as in both, incompetent and corrupt. I've been telling everybody for a long, Kenny, great questions and great call, man. Thank you very much for giving me a ring. Um, All right, we we got more on this. If you're on hold, stay with me. If you want, we'll get to your calls in the next hour. Uh, 844-900-2825. Be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Something happened. Something just broke right uh, right before uh, I was going to transition us into an immigration discussion, which we are going to have. And I have an op-ed that I just have to share with you. You'll be like, wow. It'll be, it'll be illuminating, to say the least, on the issue of illegal immigration. But first... This just came up. This was from uh, Brett Baer's show on Fox, uh, which uh, is a is a great news show, by the way. It's one of my very favorites. Uh, but Brett Baer was talking to uh, Ron Johnson, I believe it was. Yep. 
And this came up just before on air. Here, play. What this is all about is further evidence of corruption, more than bias, but corruption at the highest levels of the FBI and that secret society. We have, we have an informant that's talking about a group that were holding secret meetings off-site. There's there's so much smoke here. There's so much Boy, suspicion. Let's, let's stop there. A secret society, the, a secret meetings off-site of the Justice Department. Correct. What, and you have an informant saying that? Yes. Is there anything more about that? No, we have to dig into it. That's that's. This is not a distraction. Again, this is this is bias, potentially corruption at the highest levels of the FBI that is now investigating. And now there's. And, and by the way, uh, Robert Mueller used to run the FBI. Uh, he is in no position to do an investigation over this kind of misconduct. So I think at this point in time, we probably should be looking at a special counsel to undertake this investigation. Up uh, a special counsel to look at the special counsel. That's where we are. But that's not even the biggest headline here. A secret society of, I guess, Trump derangement sufferers at the FBI, at the top reaches of the FBI. Ah, uh, maybe people are going to prison. I mean, this is this is getting real weird now. There's a part of me that look. I I approach things with a with a natural skepticism, right? It was very helpful as an intelligence analyst. It's very helpful as somebody now in the media. I don't I don't run out there with, oh, my gosh, did you hear this thing? And then I have to go, oh, actually, that was totally fake. It was false, you know. I try to live in reality and do a lot of source verification and stay with the facts and, and analyze where I think it's going without being convinced that I can tell you what the future is or where something's definitely going. But a secret society of Trump haters at the FBI? I mean, they're actually calling it a secret society in a text message. If that was more than just, I'm assuming they're going to tell us that that was a joke, right? If I'm the if I'm the appointed lawyer, which I don't have a law degree, so but I'd be better than some lawyers anyway. If I were the appointed lawyer for uh, Lisa Page and, and Peter Strzok over at the FBI, of course, my story publicly would be, oh, the secret society it was a joke. They're disappointed Hillary lost. You know, I know how they're going to try to play it. But if secret society is something that actually was happening, <laughs> that becomes a big problem, right? If you, They said, you heard the audio. I just played this for you. This was just on Fox News, just breaking before, that you have Ron Johnson out there saying, a member of Congress, respected member of Congress, access to classified information, he's saying that, They've got a whistleblower. I'm assuming they're not just taking like a random voicemail to the congressional answering service or something. I was the validated whistleblower who was telling them that there were meetings of a of a secret society off site, you know, which we're thinking here top DOJ people. Top remember, that's we're talking criminal justice here, folks. DOJ, FBI, federal government, federal law enforcement. Some of the top people there may have been part of a secret society to get rid of Trump. Or to stop Trump, or to I mean, this is this is straight up Tom Clancy level stuff, right? This is like out of a fictional spy thriller espionage novel, right? The the deep state element within the most powerful arm of the federal government, really, which is in fact a federal law enforcement arm. If you want, you know, if someone's trying to weaponize an arm of the federal government I mean, short of the military, which the deep state can't do, thankfully, because the military is patriotism. But some folks at the top of the FBI, uh, I'm a little worried here. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Look, this may be 
We don't have enough yet to say that this is a thing, but we have enough to say that we need to find out if it is or not. The secret society of anti-Trumpers at the at the DOJ, at the FBI. We we uh, this just keeps getting better. But will you notice also that not a lot? Of, where's all the Russia stuff that we're supposed to be finding out about? Right, meaning that the the Trump Russia the meetings and all the no. Now, that whole, oh, yeah, Papadopoulos was the basis for the collusion investigation because of what he said to an Australian in Great Britain about what he had heard. The New York Times ran that. That was what we call weak sauce. That was some, that was some weak sauce. That was not good. All right, every single line here is lit. So I've got a you folks are kind enough to, to listen and, and, and to give me your, your thoughts here. So let's get into it. Uh, whew, first up here is... Uh, Tim in Ohio. Tim, welcome to the welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Hey, Buck. It's been a few weeks since I talked to you. Tell you what, I'm going to hit you really quick with three big topics. Number one, Shield Tie. Oh my gosh, we are loving it. Oh, cool. We're Thank you. It. I'm glad. And the thing is, and then I'm going on Wikipedia and going back in time, going to these places, seeing exactly where this is and where that happened and which group was this and that. I'll tell you what, you know, they taught us a lot of good history back there in the uh, late 60s and 70s when I went to school. But you know what? I got I to gotta look on Wikipedia get caught up in all these things you're telling us. You're moving quick. It's good. It's not boring. It's fantastic. God, I wish we could see it on screen. It's moving so fast, but it's so informative. We're loving it. I tell you, all the guys listen at work with us, you know? Thank you. That's very kind. Okay. You got, Dude, the fall of Constantinople Part 2 is coming up Monday. We're going to really get into it because it got nasty, uh, my friend. It got crazy. No, number two, I want to talk about uh, quick, uh, the, you know, the, this thing going on now. Number three, I want to hit quick, too, but it's immigration. Number two is back to the corruption now in the government. Listen, I told it. we talked weeks ago about how uh, the FBI tapped my phone, right? And that was over because of the crooked Clinton corruption that was going back in the 90s. And I'll tell you what, you know, my father worked for Ohio Bell for 34 years. He's the one who uncovered the tap on my line, right? But the deal was I couldn't stand it any longer. I was writing op-eds in the paper because Clinton was selling our country out for the uh, missile guidance technology to China. And the nuclear stuff to China and everything, and the, and the jobs are going to China, and I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to write all these op-eds, and pretty soon, you know what? My phone's getting tapped. But anyway. All right, let's move on to three, immigration. Oh, yeah, let's go to immigration. Okay, let me tell you something. Here in the eastern Ohio, you know what? We got chicken pluckers. We got uh, different types of uh, forms of illegal immigration works. And the women are in the grocery store with full carts, okay? And they're paying with EBT cards. They can't speak a lick of English. And I'm telling you, it's really ticking off the people around here because, you know what? We got to work for it. We're the working poor, and these people got full carts, and they're paying with EBT cards, and they're illegal. It's, it's really ticking us off Amnesty is here. not popular with no the American people, and that's, that's why Democrats need to bring— And thank you for calling in, Tim, and thank you for your kind words— Tim was talking about the Shields High podcast, which is on iTunes. If you want to listen, it's uh, it's up there. It's free. It's all history. It's some pretty cool stuff. Uh, but the, the, the Democrats don't want to vote for amnesty unless they bring along some Republicans, because then it becomes a a bipartisan destruction. <laughs> then, then then both parties have chosen the form of the destructor, so to speak. Uh, they will have both brought the country into a very uh, 
very bad place, I think. Because, well, I'll get into immigration and what's and what's coming up on that in a few minutes. Stay with me on that. Uh, let's see. We have uh, Wayne in Lexington, North Carolina. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Buck. Shields high, man. Shields high. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, I was originally a Ted Cruz supporter, but yeah, you know, me too. After he, after he lost the the primary here, I was you know, on board with Trump. But if these me too. people be, if these cats get by, and nobody goes to jail over this mess. Trump will definitely be reelected. Oh yeah, no, that's that's what I'm saying. What do we care about more? Right. This is why the, the release the memo is critical, Wayne, because if the memo is helpful to putting away this Russia collusion nonsense and to slapping down the Democrats and their media allies in a way that we can get enough Americans to continue to see what a good thing the Trump presidency is going to be for them. I'm, I'm invested in the success of this country. I want everyone in America to be doing well, including including crazy leftists who you know don't know what's good for them, right? But I want this country to prosper and to do well, and that's why the, the political potency that could come from release the memo is much more important to me than oh we're gonna they're gonna charge peter struck with look i mean i could come up with the charges right now maybe conspiracy and maybe i mean this is if he's done anything wrong right but i'm just saying conspiracy and official misuse of position or something i mean that guy's not gonna spend a minute in jail everybody okay this is what i'm trying to <laughs> unless he's engaged in like wire fraud or something the guy's not going any anywhere anyhow they're not even gonna bring charges against him but that's not what matters most. What matters most is getting to the truth as it relates to the movement that Donald Trump represents and what it's doing for the country. That's what I want to get to. And when the truth comes out and none of these cats go to jail, I mean, Scooter Libby went to jail. Come on, man. Right. For, I mean, by the way, Scooter Libby went to jail for it was uh, preposterous. They, they sent that. They knew that somebody else had leaked the name. He didn't leak anything. He didn't leak anything. <laughs> and you have idiots running around still. I see people immediately, well, Scooter Libby leaked it. No, he didn't leak anything. They said he lied about when he found something out when it, with regard to the investigation of a leaked name. I know about this stuff because I know, because I was in D.C. and, and knew, knew what was going on with all this whole thing at the time. Wayne, Shield Time, man. Thank you for calling in from Lexington. Appreciate it very much. Uh, John in West Virginia. Hey, John. Hey, Buck. Shield Time, man. Shield Time to you too, sir. Hey, uh, you know, I, I was going to say some things about, you know, all these emails of Hillary's, everything that the Democrats do, you know, they can't find nothing. Everything's gone. But you brought up the secret of society when I was sitting here. And I was thinking, you know, how, how long is this, if there is one, how long How long has it been going on? I mean, like with George Bush, they had weapons of mass destruction, but they, they were never found. Well, who gave George Bush that information? Was that a setup for him to fail? Because right after Bush, we got Obama. Well, John, can I just can I just say that 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 we're now, I think, seeing the potency of individuals who are ideologically opposed to conservatives and the Republican Party in the bureaucratic arm of the government. And I think you're raising a very interesting point, which is there were Comey's and Strucks and Pages and McCabe's and oh, my Long before Trump even came on the scene. And what do we think they, you know, how, how has the game been played that we didn't know about with individuals like that during the Bush administration and before? So I think that's a very interesting point. Yeah, because it just seems like he was kind of set up because he was left with his pants down because he put all those soldiers over there and people died and they never found anything. And that 
that was a big scar on his record. Well, the, the deep people... state, the deep state is not an is not new. I think is a is a fair point to make. I mean, Bush with yeah, that's WMD, exactly that's a I'm whole other. Sure. We'd have to go into a whole other uh, area of discussion, John. Yeah. But Shield and thank you for calling in from from West Virginia. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's remarkable, folks. It really is. Uh, watching this whole thing play out, and I. I wonder how long they can kind of keep the ruse going over at at CNN and, and MSNBC. By the way, there are, there are people at MSNBC who have to know that they're just it's unfortunate, but in the news business for a lot of people, feeding feeding disinformation to your audience, you know, finding out what you think will get the most attention and what the largest percentage of the audience wants to hear is is unfortunately good business in a lot of cases. And so that's why you get this. That's how CNN can be running night after oh, now whether this is good business or not is a different discussion. CNN makes a lot of its money. For those of you who are wondering, how can it have such crap ratings in the United States but still be in business, making a lot of money? CNN makes a ton of money internationally because it's also providing news content in countries that, you know, it does CNN International. It's all it's in the airports all over the world and stuff. So that's why, you know, they can get away with at some level not being uh, particularly watched here in the States because they're making money internationally, which also, I think, affects their editorial line quite a bit. There's a reason why they're like, well, what does world opinion say about that, sir? And everyone in America is like, I don't, first of all, what does world opinion even mean? It's a meaningless phrase. And second of all, who cares? E- even if they could tell me what world opinion was, well, excuse me, sir, but world opinion dictates it. I'd be like, uh, I don't care about this world opinion. <laughs> I live in America. I'm concerned with my fellow Americans, what's going on in this country. And, you know, as a human being, I wish the best for everybody else. But, like, I don't really care what their political opinions are, you know. From, you know, the Philippines to Sweden to Botswana, I don't care what they think about our politics, period. At all. Full stop. Care about what Americans think, and I'm hoping to convince some of them to agree with me on stuff. Uh, 844-900-2825. We have got to get into some uh, immigration talk. Also, a bit of follow-up. A bit of follow-up to the shutdown, the Schumer shutdown, just for fun, just for giggles. We might get into that later on this hour. And next hour, as I said, we've got Sean Davis joining from The Federalist and uh, also our friend Andrew Arthur, who's an immigration expert, to talk about. Remember that law in California that I said I had done a reading of and I, I came out and told you that from what I can see, they're just they're just trying to write laws in California now to arrest or, or to, to frighten employers so that they won't be helpful in enforcing immigration? We'll have an immigration expert on who literally was in charge of enforcing employer sanctions in California. You'll have him on in just a little bit talking about that. Uh, so we got a lot more coming. Stay right there. Fake news better run and hide because the Buck Sexton Show is back. So the shutdown is effectively over because Democrats caved. White House is taking a victory lap after Democrats in the Senate caved and voted to reopen the government. Democrats have relented, accepted nearly all White House terms. The Democrats giving in on the dreamers. Did he cave? It sounds like there's a lot that wasn't in this deal. Leader Schumer, what one thing did he get? The one thing I would say that he did get is the potential for momentum. There are a lot of Democrats that aren't happy. There are a lot of reasons for Democratic activists to be concerned. A huge, colossal mistake by the Democrats. Schumer sellout. The perception is he got rolled. They are getting their butts kicked. The Schumer shutdown to the Schumer sellout. I like that. What choice did the guy really have? They were losing. They, They thought that they could 
turn a, a circle into a square here. They thought they could convince people, we're shutting down the government. Why are Republicans shutting down the government? We're shutting down the government, but why are they shutting down? It's like it doesn't, you know, it's some form of like multiple personality disorder. It just doesn't work, right? You can't be the guy who's doing something and be like, why are people doing this? And so it didn't work, which is a good thing. I just thought it was funny, though, to uh, to see how they're all, you know, oh, gosh, what are we going to do now? And my, my favorite, though, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, really, she she uh, she's amazing, right? She never fails to deliver with just the 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 dumbest talking points you could possibly find anywhere delivered with such a lack of self-awareness. It's it's a skill, you know, it's pretty incredible. In its own way, right? I mean, I, I almost respect it. I mock it, but I almost respect it. But I like her, you know, the potential for momentum. You know, you could say that there's a potential for a lot of things that come out of the. You could even say there's a potential for almost anything policy-wise to come out of this. But the potential for momentum is a great way to spin something, right? You know, I, I, I lost a whole bunch of money in the stock market this week. Yes, but you... You know, you've created the potential of making money next week. I mean, I, I guess, right? I mean, I, yeah, sure. That's that's one way to look at it. Also could have just lost a bunch of money, right? And Chuck Schumer maybe just got uh, a free ride on the Trump negotiation school bus. And, you know, that's kind of the end of it. I, I uh, Look, Trump was the X factor on this one. And it really comes down to also what I've been thinking all along, which is that there's no... Because they couldn't win the argument about shutting down the government and then how bad a shutdown was, there wasn't re- there wasn't even really a shutdown. It was kind of a a halfway shutdown, right? You know, they, they didn't do like a cannonball into the deep end of the pool. They kind of went into the shallow end up to their knees and they're like, ooh, it's chilly. It got out. You know, that doesn't really count. It wasn't like a real shutdown. Uh, but the immigration issue is still what lingers as the main point of debate going forward. And, and I want to talk to you about that. Because this is important. It's important we understand what's really at stake here, where all this is going. And we have an immigration expert joining us in the next hour. But I, I, I've got this op-ed that I want to share with you. And I'm going to read a whole, a whole bunch of uh, segments from it, some excerpts from it for you. Because I think it's very powerful. And it will really illuminate some issues in the illegal immigration debate for us in a way that you're just going to have to wait and see why why I'm so set. How often do I tell you about just one particular editorial? It's pretty rare. I think you're going to like this one. So you have to stay with me and hear what it is. Other shows just talk at you. In the Freedom Hut, we have a mission. We fight for the truth in a team effort. And Buck is back with our next play. I'd like to leave no doubt where the White House stands uh, on the Flake, Graham, and Dermot agreement on immigration reform. In the bipartisan meeting here at the White House two weeks ago, we outlined a path forward on four issues. Serious border security, an end to chain migration, the cancellation of the outdated and unsafe visa lottery, and a permanent solution to DACA. 
Unfortunately, the Flake-Graham-Durbin agreement does not meet these benchmarks. In fact, it would not secure our border, encourage more illegal immigration, increase chain migration, and retain the visa lottery system. In short, it's totally unacceptable to the president. Totally unacceptable to the president. Democrats have not expressed a willingness to do anything other than some minor budgetary maneuvering on immigration and the wall. So how do we think we're going to get to a deal in a few weeks' time? Hmm. I don't think we're going to get there. I think the fight that we just had very briefly over DACA is going to continue going forward. But before I dig into that some more, because I've talked about DACA with some frequency here, I wanted to just share with you an an editorial um, that I think does a very good job of outlining the problems of amnesty. Uh, And and let me now quote to you from, in part, this this, uh, opinion piece. Quote, back in 1986... Congress granted amnesty to an estimated three million illegal immigrants as part of a law that also promised to crack down on further illegal immigration by imposing sanctions on employers who knowingly violated the law. At that time, this page, so this is a whole editorial board. This is not just one person. This is the editorial board. This page endorsed amnesty because it was tied to measures that promised to keep further rounds of illegal immigration in check. But now, years later, there are twice as many illegal workers and employer sanctions are widely deemed a joke. Workers pretend to show employers proof of citizenship or work visas, and employers pretend they do not know that the proof is fake. The primary problem with amnesties is that they beget more illegal immigration. Demographers trace the uh, the doubling of the number of Mexican immigrants since 1990 in part to the amnesty of the 1980s. Amnesties signal foreign workers that American citizenship can be had by sneaking across the border or staying beyond the term of one's visa and hiding out until Congress passes the next amnesty. The 1980s amnesty also attracted a large flow of illegal relatives of those Uh, workers who became newly legal. All that is unfair to those who play by the immigration rules and wait years to gain legal admission. It is also unfair to unskilled workers already in the United States. Between 1980 and 1995, the gap between the wages of high school dropouts and all other workers widened substantially. Professor George Borjas of Harvard estimates that almost half of this trend can be traced to the immigration of unskilled workers. Illegal immigration of unskilled workers induced by another amnesty would make matters worse. The best course of action is to honor America's proud tradition by continuing to welcome legal immigrants and find ways to punish employers who refuse to obey the law. End quote. I mean, that's some really good stuff, right? I mean, that really makes the case, lays it out. I'm familiar with Professor Borjas's work from Harvard. For those who say that there is no, uh, that, that wages are not depressed in response to legal immigration, uh, they are wrong. It's just they're not depressed on a national level. But that makes sense, right? Because you're talking about such a large labor pool on a state-by-state, county-by-county level. Because illegal immigration is not universally distributed, it absolutely has an effect on wages. 
You live in certain parts of Arizona, guess what? Unskilled labor, working as a handyman, working as a, you know, as a general contractor or, you know, whatever you've got, right? That is pressured by the illegal population. It's true. We can do this in a whole bunch of places. So, but you may be saying, Buck, what, what's, what is this? What is the source? And I'm wondering, I want to ask you this. Where do you think I found this editorial? Remember, it's from the editorial board. It's not written by one person. It's a, it was a collective effort. Where do you see this, this full-throated and really clear-minded critique, takedown of amnesty, period? No amnesty. Amnesty is bad. Don't do it. Hurts wages. Hurts the prospects of future immigrants to get into the country. Puts them in the back of the line. All that stuff. Who wrote this? Very uh, powerful piece. It was the New York Times. The New York Times editorial board wrote what I just read to you. But they wrote it in 2000. They wrote it some time ago. Now, you could say, Buck, things have changed a long time ago. But what part of that editorial actually is no longer valid? I've been telling you about the 1986 amnesty for quite some time, and everything I've been telling you is true. It led to a much larger amnesty than they said, and there was basically no enforcement, and it was a debacle, and it led to a lot more illegal immigration. That is what amnesties do. New York Times recognized that in 2000. The editorial board, the collective people deciding what their opinion is, which of course also affects a lot of their newsroom coverage. Now, I just think it's interesting because it's a good article and it was, you know, made made the case well. And there was I didn't read you the beginning parts about it, which were about the AFL-CIO, because the unions were saying that they want amnesty. But the unions want amnesty because they want the illegals to no longer be illegal so they can join unions because unions need members. That's a whole other part of this discussion. But one thing that I think we have to keep in mind here as we go forward, we talk about DACA and amnesty and what that will mean is that. Was the New York Times xenophobic? Was the New York Times racist as recently as the year 2000? Was their editorial board just full of alt-right racists? Or did maybe they just understand what was obvious and true about illegal immigration then, but now, because of certain very prominent investors who have policy preference for illegal immigration, because of the changing climate of the Democrat left party in this country. They they completely repudiate all of this. But all the points that I made to you or all the points that I read to you from this piece, and it's much of it is a repetition of what I've said to you here on the show before. Is not just still valid. It's even more valid. The immigration illegal immigration problem has only gotten worse. The effect on wages has only increased. The debt burden from illegals in this country has only been exacerbated. But so what happened between now and then? Oh, the demographic realities of the Democrat Party have also changed. Not only has the ownership of The New York Times changed, which those of you who are curious, you can see how much money at one point Carlos Slim, Carlos Slim, who is a Mexican billionaire, basically stopped The New York Times from going bankrupt. Uh, But. The realities, not just of New York Times ownership and and its needs to get some cash, but also the uh, demographic realities, the Democratic Party changed. You know, the the Democrats realized that 
their pathway to vic- the, the best pathway to Democrat dominance is to is to make new voters by bringing them in from the outside. And that's the way to do it, not trying to debate in front of the American people about what the Democrat platform really is. I mean, you know, as much as I find Bernie Sanders to be kind of re- refreshing and even somewhat uh, somewhat charming in comparison to his other Democrat Senate colleagues, uh, his policies would wreck the country and it would be a disaster. So and, and he's an economic illiterate. Right. So, I mean, you know, Democrats, if they really got their way, you know, we see this with Obamacare. Does anybody think Obamacare was this great, uh, you know, country saving act of legislation that we spent so much time talking about everything. No, Obamacare. I have friends who have had to go on. It stinks. It stinks. It's just a redis. It's a crappy redistribution of wealth program under the guise of health care that doesn't deal with any of the underlying problems in the health care market, doesn't increase care. I know it's I'm sure soon we'll be able to talk about health care a lot again on the show. The point I'm just making is that Democrats aren't going to win on the merits. They're going to win by making new voters. That's the plan here. And I think that sharing with you that New York Times piece from, okay, granted, it was almost 20 years ago now, but how could it be that now opposition to an amnesty is is very widely derided by the Democrat media as being rooted in nativism and racism and xenophobia, but it was just understood 20 years ago that amnesties are bad, Amnesties beget more amnesties. Amnesties particularly hurt African-American workers in this country. And it's unfair to the legal immigrants who are doing what they're supposed to do to come into the country. Uh, These are all still things that apply. The only thing that's changed is now it's 11 million illegals in the country. And the Democrats have been pushing for amnesty and for uh, they've been pushing for illegal immigration, folks. The, the Democrat Party, I mean, this is the really the underlying truth of all this is that the Democrat Party has been colluding with illegal immigration for a long time now. They are pro-illegal immigration. They want illegals in the country. They want more to come into the country. They are favorable toward this law breaking. They are willing to trade the sovereignty of this country for the votes that it garners for them. Full stop. That's what's been happening here. It is a sellout of the American people, all of us from all backgrounds, from all over the world who came here legally or have been here. Our families have been here for a very long time. Right. It is a sellout of all of us. And there's really no answer to that. And because we've seen they have no answer to it, because we've seen what the changes can be from rapid infusion of immigrants, all from one background or one culture or one ideology in Europe and what that can do to a country, people are like, whoa, hold on a second. Maybe we should think a little more about this. Maybe the American people could be consulted by their elected representatives about what we think about this. But no, no, you'll you'll just hear more about how it's racist, racist. We have to, oh, the dreamers, what are we going to, they're all valedictorians and they just wanted the American dream. It's amazing, isn't it? I just think it's interesting. The New York Times 20 years ago, a bunch, bunch of racists over the New York Times, a bunch of racists opposed to amnesty. Or maybe they just were thinking clearly then and now they've they've sold out and there's no turning back for them. I think we can all come to our own conclusions about which one of those is more likely. We'll be right back. We're going to the World Economic Forum. 
to share President Trump's economic story and to tell the world that America is open for business. We want the world to invest in America and to create jobs for hardworking Americans. President Trump's economic agenda has unleashed the U.S. economy, and we are growing. His policies have led to a rising stock market, low unemployment, and strong GDP growth. The administration's commitment to deregulation and our passing of comprehensive tax reform have helped level the playing field for our businesses and our workers. I don't think we should leave out of our conversations here what a, a quiet panic the left finds itself in right now, given that here we are a year into the uh, a year into the Trump presidency, almost exactly a year into it, and country's doing great, right? The economy's really good, employment's really good. I mean, unemployment's very low. You got all that. You got all this bonuses coming out. Tax reform happened. I mean, uh, you know. I remember, I'm old enough to remember, we all are, right, that uh, a year ago or so, we were being told that that financial and nuclear Armageddon were both waiting in the wings. It was just a matter of time. And now here we are, and we're like, uh, things are great. And I'm hearing from people who tend to be uh, at least market skeptics, you know, especially when things are looking really good. They're the guys who start looking at things like it might be time to batten down the hatches a little bit. And they're like, no, I think we've got another another year or two of really strong growth. And then things may cool off a little bit, but it doesn't mean that things are going to be in the toilet, right? It just means that things might slow down a little bit. And this is great. This is all really good for the country. You know, we're uh, not caught up in, a, in some large-scale, uh, terrible grinder of a foreign war, right? I mean, we're, we're not... Uh, we're, we're, I know there's, we have troops at, in harm's way in Iraq and Afghanistan still, but at least we're not in, in country in 150, 180,000 and patrolling all the streets ourselves and everything else, right? The country's economy is doing really well. ISIS is on the run. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking around and I'm like, what's the, what do they have to, they're still claiming this Russia thing? I just think that there's some level of deep embarrassment that they're trying to avoid too. And those are for those that have some shred of decency or honesty or integrity. And I think that there are people who are uh, never Trump who have begun, who have come around. And uh, I, I remember reading recently a and she's a very, very good writer, a very smart lady um, at uh, Molly Hemingway. She writes The Federalist. We've got Sean Davis, who's co-founder of The Federalist, coming on here in just a few minutes. She wrote, look, she wasn't she wasn't never Trump, but she wasn't really a Trump fan. She's like, look, after his first year, what what am I? On what grounds as a conservative am I supposed to be complaining, really? I mean, I know that, uh, <laughs> as I say this, CNN, evangelicals give Trump a do-over amid porn star allegations and any past behavior. Yeah, that's, let's, let's focus on the, the economy is, is flying high. Things are going great. Trump is crushing it. Trump, uh, Trump, Trump just uh, essentially pile-drived Schumer and all the rest of them. And CNN wants to run stories on evangelical hypocrisy or something, right? That's what they're trying to get at with that. All oh, evangelicals are being so hypocritical on Trump. It's like, they just, they, they never, they're never going to, never going to figure out that it doesn't work. First of all, MSNBC is already doing that. So they're competing with a channel that's already, we hate Trump all the time, always. And they're like, no, we hate Trump, too. And MSNBC is like, no, we hate Trump more. They're like, we hate Trump. I mean, 
How many hate Trump channels can you have before it's like, we got it. This is covered. We understand, you know. It's, oof. It's amazing, you know. Bart Aroma over at Fox Business had this to say. I was speaking with some business people in Europe the other day, and they told me they had a whole strategy to invest in Europe. And after the tax plan in the U.S., they've completely shifted their strategy, and now they're shifting that money away from Europe and into the U.S. So this tax legislation that the president signed into law earlier this year, this is shifting plans across the world. It's not just benefiting America. It's also changing direction for some money that was earmarked elsewhere. So it's very powerful. Yep. Tax reform is having all kinds of... Uh, by the way, was there ever anything that the Obama administration did that had similar effects to this? I mean, there was a there was a whole trillion-dollar stimulus that was just a, a giveaway for Democrat interests and unions and the left, but it didn't, didn't get the economy roaring, right? It, it, people say, oh, we saved the financial system. No, that was the bank bailout. That's a different thing. <laughs> people conflate them, but different. Uh, but here we are. Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm going to have uh, an immigration expert joining us here in just a few minutes to to address the specifics of that California law that I was telling you about. That's a real, uh, even for those of us who have very low opinion of what Democrats are trying to do on immigration, people like me, it's still kind of shocking. Uh, so we'll have him joining us on that. I want to hear from our, our friend Sean Davis from The Federalist shortly about the text messages and the latest in the FBI. He's He digs very deep into all that and is, a, is an excellent analyst of it. Also got some thoughts on student debt student loan debt and defaults on that. I know that doesn't necessarily you know, send everybody into, wow, student loan debt, but it's it's important. And uh, for a lot of you listening, even if you don't have to worry about student loan debt, your kids, if they don't already, probably will have to. So we'll talk about that, and then we'll get some uh, roll call. So uh, jam-packed hour three on the way. So the shutdown is over, everybody, but the fight over immigration looms. In fact, you could argue that Democrats have only turned up the heat, or at least they think they have. They believe there's going to be some conclusion to the DACA issue reached, uh, uh, arrived at in the next arrived at in the next few weeks. Well, what's really going on with all of that and much more on the immigration front? We have Andrew Arthur with us now. He's a resident fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies. Andrew, great to have you back. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, so I, I spoke earlier on the show, and this was just my own. I saw this clip, and I, I tracked down what I could about this law in California, HB or SB 54. And here is what the attorney general of the state of California had to say about it. Play it. And it's important that employers in California understand what these new laws are, because ignorance of the law does not let you escape punishment. And we want our our employers who are working really hard to keep our economy going and employ more folks to understand what these new laws are. And I just wanted to make sure, given these swirling rumors about what might be going on, to just be aware of what their rights and their responsibilities are. So it's not to say if you find there are employers who have violated AB 450, is your office, are you guys ready to go after them? If there are violators of California law out there, uh, law enforcement will investigate and prosecuting authorities, could be the local prosecuting authorities, or could be the attorney general's office, will prosecute those who violate the law. All right, Andrew. So California's passed a law here targeting employers that they're saying they'll prosecute the employers for, when, and from what I read, 
It's saying that if you share information with the feds and you're not supposed to, we're going to come after you. What's going on here? Well, you know, AB 450 is a very unusual law, particularly in light of the arguments that California made back in 2012 in the case of Arizona versus United States. If you remember, Arizona had come up with its own scheme to arrest individuals who are legally present in the United States and turn them over to ICE. And the, the government was like, whoa, whoa, we don't want these people. And California stepped in and argued vociferously that immigration is strictly a federal issue and that the states have no responsibility or no, no area that they should act in. And now they've turned around and passed AB 450, the Immigrant Worker Protection Act, which is really a piece of work. But it actually works on two levels. The first level is it makes very strong statements. Uh, you know, you, you shall not provide voluntary consent. You shall not share records. But it's full of weasel language, as we like to say in the law. It begins with, except as otherwise required by federal law, an employer shall. And it does that in a number of places. And it does that for what I think is a very deceptive reason. And that is, they don't want employers to know what their responsibilities are. They want to sow confusion so that they can force the employers to not comply with immigration law, even though the employers are required to comply with immigration law. So th- that was my initial read of this as somebody who doesn't have a legal background, but does a lot of reading. I was like, th- this seems like it's designed specifically to be vague so they could attach threats and the vagueness would work together so that people would feel like, well, I don't want to get in trouble here, so I just better not say anything about the illegal immigrants who may be working for me. That's exactly right. The attorney general in this instance is a bully. And what he has attempted to do is bully employers in the state of California into not complying with valid federal law. How would that even work? I mean, what would under this and I guess the SB is the, the California State Senate bill or what, what, what is it called? Uh, Assembly Bill 450. Assembly AB Bill 450. 450. AB 450. Thank you. Uh, how is it that one could, based on your reading, even vi- how could an employer violate this law? What would a violation even look like? I have no idea. And keep in mind, at one time for a period of four years, I was the employer sanctions counsel in uh, the San Francisco district of the INS. I had jurisdiction over employer sanctions for two-thirds of the state of California. And, and, you know, I'm not unfamiliar with California law. And looking at this, I have no idea what a violation would be because the fact is employers, you know, Employers are required upon notice to give information to the government, to give I-9s to the government. That's how, we, that's how our employer sanctions scheme works. It's paperwork that gets turned over to the government. Now, the one provision that is interesting is that they have to give notice to employees when there's a problem. Basically, what that does is it gives employees the opportunity to run before they get caught by ICE. So, so there's a California, and everybody, we're just we're talking to Art, uh, uh, Andrew Arthur here, also known as Art, from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies. Used to be in charge of employer sanctions in the state of Colorado for one. I mean, sorry, state of California for one section of the state. And he's saying he can't even tell you what a violation of this new California law would be. And oh, by the way, what you just told me is really mind blowing, Andrew. And that is that California law now is telling people that they can't, in fact, tell federal that, that, that the employers will get in trouble for passing along the information. 
again, it's it's written in such vague language that it's intended to scare the employers more than it actually is intended to sanction the employers. And for that reason, I think that the uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who has shown no reluctance whatsoever to go after uh, – uh, these sanctuary cities, this will give Jeff Sessions a strong reason to go after the state of California about this law. And I get a feeling that what you're going to see is a district court, a circuit court, or maybe the Supreme Court will step in and actually say, you know, either one, the law is invalid as written, which they may do, or two, say, okay, the law is valid, but it doesn't really do anything. And that'll actually provide the uh, guidance to the uh, employers. What's going on with? Unfortunately, we're gonna have to wait for that. Yeah, it's gonna take a while. What's going on with the sanctuary city showdown in California specifically? There have been a few uh, local politicians, city politicians. I'm sure people in the state assembly in California are are getting in on this too. But just folks out in California who work for the government, one capacity or another, are saying, "Oh, I'll, I'll go to prison before I." give up on sanctuary city policy, or I'll get arrested before I give up. What, what are they even referring to? Well, uh, ICE Director Tom Homan had uh, suggested that there should be sanctions, and I, you know, uh, against the, uh, the individuals from these, you know, towns and localities who enforce these sanctuary laws that are, uh, in essence, um, hiding or sheltering uh, these aliens. Um, and again, the validity of the ability to do that, I'm not entirely clear on, but this is a very inventive attorney general, and he's a fellow who knows the immigration laws backwards and forwards. I consider myself an immigration expert, but I'm nowhere near on Jeff Sessions' level. So I think that he's going to work his way through this, and he's going to find a way to come down with some serious sanctions. Now, I don't know whether that I, – I doubt it's going to be jail, but it's probably going to be you know pulling some federal funding from a lot of these localities – that depend on federal funding because, of course, California is broke. Tell me about the and we're speaking to Andrew Arthur of the Center for Immigration Studies here, everyone. Tell me, Andrew, about your piece on CIS.org. There is no deadline on DACA because coming out of this shutdown, the one thing the Democrats can say is, well, we're going to have to get a deal the next time around. And that was the deal this time was next time we get a deal. That's what Democrats are saying on DACA specifically. Right. And it's interesting because uh, March 5th keeps getting thrown around as a deadline for DACA. But in reality, under the laws that exist right now, there is no deadline. And we go back to California, as we often do when it comes to immigration. Judge William Alsop of the uh, Northern District of California, the federal court in San Francisco, issued an order that said that uh, DACA uh, had to continue indefinitely. Uh, And in fact, uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services has been forced to reopen its acceptance of renewals for DACA uh, beneficiaries so that they can renew their status. Uh, And that includes individuals whose status expired after the October 5th deadline that had been set by the then acting Secretary of Homeland Security, Elaine Duke. So right now, there is no DACA deadline. What do you make of concerns that if there is a DACA deal, no matter how it is uh, written or worded, you know, no matter what the legislation looks like, the uh, congressional fix, how that comes out, that there will be challenges, people will, that, that effectively an amnesty for some becomes an amnesty for a lot more based on the way the system actually works? 
Well, inevitably, whenever you have any of these amnesties, there's always, you know, litigation. Oh, I sent my information in, but it got lost in the mail, or somebody told me I couldn't do it, or something like that. So that's, you know, one of the many problems with amnesties is that eventually you have, you know, litigation that involves a group of people that gets resolved. But in this particular instance, if Congress grants some sort of regularized status to these individuals, and I think that we've heard from you know the president and uh, the other end of uh, Pennsylvania Avenue on this, that you know that will be federal law that will be enforced, and uh, the fact is that it'll largely be unassailable by any sort of uh, court action. You will not have another group of individuals who could step in after the fact to say, "Oh, we should be included too." You think that a DACA fix then does include permanent legal status and that Trump will sign that? Well, you know, the... uh, What is the DACA fix? Tell me. Well, you know, right now it looks like a variety of different things. Securing America's Future Act, uh, which is the Goodlatte-McCall bill in the House, provides three years of non-immigrant status, renewable for individuals who have... Uh, who uh, are DACA beneficiaries, uh, and that goes on indefinitely. And, you know, some of those people, as time goes on, will eventually get green cards because they'll get it through another uh, method. In the Senate, they're talking about, you know, a direct path to green cards for these individuals. So it could take any number of different um, any number of different uh uh, statuses that would be possible available. outcomes here. All right. Fair enough. Andrew Arthur, everybody of uh, the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org for his latest and all the rest that they're doing over at the Center for Immigration Studies. Andrew, always appreciate you making the time. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Great talk to you as always. All right, team, we're going to roll into a quick break here. Uh, we got a lot more show coming, so stay right there. Should people take out big loans to go to college? It's a question that I think this country is going to have to spend a lot more time on in the years ahead. Uh, Peace out, based on information presented by the Brookings Institution, which is a left of center, uh, Democrat leaning, but not totally leftist think tank. And they think that for students, this is from the from the research paper for students who took out federal loans in 2004. Default rates will reach nearly 40 percent by 2024. That means four out of every 10 students uh, will default by 2024. Uh, This is time for a total rethink of what higher education spending should be, the setup that we currently have for it. And it's troubling. You read through the study and it shows that there are. Most of the people that are most affected by this, the overwhelmingly the highest percentage uh, of defaults and uh, all the of the economic woes that come along with that. Because remember, student loan debt, you can't default even in bankruptcy. So it just it just follows you around like a specter forever. Uh, The people that are most affected by that are going to for profit colleges and for profit colleges as the name implies, see a market opportunity. I don't know. Some of you probably listening went to for-profit colleges and had a great experience. I'm not saying that's not possible. I'm not saying that for-profit colleges are a bad thing, but they are the biggest single problem when you look at student loan debt and what's going to really affect a lot of people for much of their lives going forward. 
because here's what's happened in the country. We've we've all been told you have to have a degree, right? You have to go beyond high school and you have to have a degree. And the truth is that if everybody has a degree, then a degree no longer has quite the same value. Education for skills that you really have that are marketable is one thing. But education as a credential is different, is another thing. If you learn, for example, how to be an electrician, you you can make a really good living, right? There are uh, electricians do very well. I specialize electricians make pretty crazy money. I mean, they make really really good livings, really serious wages, no matter where you are in the country. Uh, you know, not brain surgeon money, but but pretty good. Uh, <laughs> they make better better than struggling radio host money. I'll tell you that. So. There's that, and there's others that come to mind. You can, you know, there's, uh, I believe, you know, welders by the hour do very well. I mean, there's different professions, HVAC in, installers, people that have a specific marketable skill. To learn that is one thing, but to go and, you know, get a a degree in, I, I don't know, whatever it is that people are studying at some of these uh, programs that are for-profit colleges, if if it's not translating into a job right away, the credential is not that valuable. Right? People are not going to see a for-profit college degree and the, kick the door wide open. And that's been kind of the implicit or, no, maybe it's even explicit promise of higher education for a long time in this country. I just think it's garbage. I see so many people that are very smart and very driven who didn't finish college, only did maybe – went to college for a little bit and or, or they never went or it should be based on whether or not it's necessary for your field. I think that the idea that we all should be racking up debt and going to school from 18 to 22, roughly, if you go to a four year college is just an, I just think it's just crazy. And the world has changed a lot and what's marketable and what's needed, what's necessary. You know what I've seen? And this is I've had to do a fair amount of hiring over the years, as well as a lot of applying for jobs, but I've also had to hire people. The skill of having a job is one of the most important skills you want if you're going to give someone a job, meaning that one of the number one things that you can look for and and that somebody really needs is handling and managing the day-to-day responsibilities of being somewhere at a certain time for a certain period of time and doing what is asked and doing it in a way that it is sufficient or better than sufficient, right? Meeting job responsibilities. I think a lot of people, and I see this among friends of mine who just go to one, you know, one degree after another and kind of always lingering around the academy in some way. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm working on my master's or I'm working on my, my PhD. And whatever. You know, you get in this, in this situation where you never have to show up and execute. And it doesn't have to be that that's your job you want to do forever. It doesn't have to be that, you know, the, the first job you ever, you ever have is what you're locked into forever. My generation, roughly speaking, millennials, we're switching jobs all over the place. You know, we're, we're switching jobs like it's going out of style. And I just think that there needs to be a, a, a shift in education. But back to the, the default issue. I mean, if you have a 40% default, there's a trillion dollars of student loan debt outstanding. If you get up to a 40% default rate, that's for everybody who's borrowed after the year 2004. That's the year that I graduated college. That's going to have a real effect. And you know what's going to be amazing? And I I can guarantee you this. That will be a very compelling 
Democrat data point because the federal government has been backstopping all these loans. So the federal government says, well, we're we're going to backstop the loans. And so banks have been able to lend out money to anybody, get it, get a percentage on it as long as it's for student loans. And they're not going to be left holding the bag at the end of the day. It's great for banks. So what will happen is there'll be a Bernie Sanders-esque political movement that just says, you know, wipe away the debts, make them all go away, disappear. I mean, they're just going to say that it's it was unfair and, you know, rah, rah, Bernie Sanders, America. Now, it may be at some point in the future. I don't know if Bernie's going to be in condition to be leading this movement. But nonetheless, the same idea will be prevalent, and that's that uh, debt forgiveness is a political issue and all you need is a political consensus and you will just wipe away. But think about what that will do for, I I don't don't even, I was going to say, I don't know. No one knows what that's going to do. If all of a sudden you just take all of this accumulated debt and say, well, because we say so, it's gone now. I just think that'll rock the markets. But yeah, 40% defaults coming up. That's that's the latest analysis on student loans. So I, I, I know what I speak of here. Try to avoid debt, everybody. Unless it's for a home and it's a home you're going to live in and a home you love, avoid debt. We'll be right back. So what's this about Comey claiming that the buddy that leaked the memo to the New York Times that Comey leaked to him is in fact his lawyer? This is just getting crazier and crazier, folks. We got somebody joining us now who can answer that question or at least give us the closest thing to an answer out there and a whole lot more. Sean Davis is with us. He is co-founder of The Federalist. He's a super sharp guy, and we want to ask him for some opinions. Sean, great to have you back. Great to be back. Thank you for having me. All right, man. What Comey? What's with Comey? What's he doing now? Uh, he, he seems to be sanctimoniously tweeting stupid inspirational quotes on Twitter while simultaneously patting himself on the back for being the last honest man in America. Um, but the, the big hullabaloo today um, goes back to his uh, testimony before Congress last year. Now, uh, you'll remember that after he got fired, he took a bunch of memos that he says he wrote uh, while FBI director, and he took them home with him, and he leaked them to a friend of his who is a law professor at Columbia. And he told that friend, you've got to leave these to the media. We've got to get a special counsel to go after the guy who fired me. <clears throat> New York Times publishes uh, allegedly excerpts from it. Special counsel gets uh, appointed, and then we're off to the races. Well, today we find that this attorney, this law professor, um, who took those leaks from Comey, which were illegal, by the way, classified information, according to Senator Grassley, that attorney is now claiming to have been and to be Comey's personal attorney. And when I talked to him on the phone earlier today, he would not tell me when that legal work for Comey began. He wouldn't tell me if he was acting officially as Comey's attorney when they had that, those discussions about the coordinated illegal leak. He wouldn't say whether he was Comey's attorney when Comey uh, characterized him under oath before Congress as just a friend. And the interesting thing that's going on here is it looks to me as a cynic on the outside is that this is a very brazen way for this person to shield uh, the communications that he and Comey had coordinating their illegal leaks uh, from any sort of law enforcement scrutiny. And that's important because the New York Times reported today that Comey was actually interviewed by the special counsel about what he did with all those memos. So it, uh, the, the plot thickened quite a lot today. 
Sean, everybody, just so you know, was chief investigator for Senator Tom Coburn and has worked up on the Hill, so he knows the ins and outs of this stuff quite a bit firsthand. Sean, what are we to make now? I mean, I've been talking about it here on the show, but I I wanted your take on. uh, So now the FBI, uh, we've got these new text messages between the, the agent and the lawyer. We've also got the Democrats, it seems, trying to simultaneously slow roll and uh, downplay this FISA memo that we haven't seen yet. L- let me start with the texts. W- what, do you, what are we supposed to make of these different FBI officials now saying some really cryptic, weird stuff that lines up with what you'd think you'd see from people that working against Trump in the time periods we're talking about? Right. So we know that two top uh, DOJ and FBI officials, uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, who were canoodling with each other on the side, um, exchanged, we're told, 50,000 text messages with each other in 2016 and 2017. Uh, Many of these, uh, curiously, between uh, December 14th, 2016 and the day Mueller was appointed, have magically gone missing. But of the texts that we have seen, they talk about uh, an insurance policy to keep Trump from becoming president. They talk about a desire to see his businesses fail. Um, they talk about a secret society the day after the election that needs to have a meeting. Um, it, it goes beyond mere bias. Now, I, I don't care if, if agents have personal political opinions. We all do. The question is whether they were able to silo those opinions and do an honest, above-board, ethical uh, job in their official duties. And it, it's looking like they didn't. There's a whole bunch of conspiratorial talk. They talk about leaks. They talk about uh, targeting reporters. It, it is beginning to look as if the worst-case scenario that a lot of us thought about over at uh, DOJ and FBI actually happened, which was that every political investigation there of Clinton, of Uranium One, of Trump, was just a, a political hatchet job from the very beginning with an outcome predetermined and with justice being just a uh, – a far-off ideal that nobody was really all that concerned about. Do you think we're going to find some answers coming up here, Sean? There's this memo that's gotten a lot of play, and people are talking about release the memo. I can't think of a a reason why the public should not be able to see at least a redacted version of the memo. Now, the moment there are redactions, as anybody who has operated in that world knows— you can basically get away with removing all of the all of the meat. I mean, all of the important stuff from a memo. But nonetheless, at least a redacted memo would give us something. And if it's all blacked out lines or mostly blacked out lines, then we'd have even more questions, I think. But do you think it's as it's going to be as potent as we're being led to believe right now by some members of Congress who have seen it? Because I'm worried they're overselling it right now. And in a few weeks, it's going to be there are FISA abuses. This is our analysis of it. And the Democrats will just say, well, you know, you don't have enough there. It's not going to change the narrative. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I want to know where you are on this. Well, I I want to see the document. I want it to be released, and I want to see the information that underlies it, the actual FISA warrants, the actual DOJ, FBI documents. Uh, I want to see all that. I I think as an American taxpayer, as a voter, I'm entitled to know what the government is doing. Um, If it's doing something improper to, say, spy on its political opponents or use law enforcement powers against them, Um, what I find telling is that Uh, House Intel Committee has put this report together. They are required by House rules to oversee the intelligence communities. They are required by House rules to keep Congress informed on what they're doing. And House Democrats, having seen this information, 
all voted against the House Intel pursuant to its congressional obligation from informing the entire Congress. Um, and given how leaky Adam Schiff uh, and his, his little crew is over there, the fact that they're not leaking a single thing about this, the fact that they've seen the FISA warrants, they've seen these underlying documents, and they haven't said a word about it, suggests to me that it's fairly devastating uh, to the narrative that's been crammed down our throats for the last year. Um, but I'm reserving judgment. I, I don't know what's in it. I obviously haven't seen it. Uh, nobody who's seen it uh, will talk about what's in it. I'm just going to wait, read it for myself, try and get the underlying, uh, uh, hope the underlying information will get out, and then I'm going to render a judgment from there. How certain are you at this point that there was high-level corruption at the FBI and the Department of Justice that affected the Hillary email probe and the Russia and uh, Russia counterintelligence and then collusion investigations with regards to Trump? Well, I mean, it doesn't look good. Um, it, it's hard to look at these draft memos for Comey uh, about exonerating Hillary and compare those to statements he made and conclude that, yeah, this is all above board and everyone was telling the truth and there was no crookery going on. I mean, you had Comey tell Congress that uh, he hadn't made up his mind until after he re had interviewed Hillary and looked at all the facts. And yet we have these uh, drafts of her exoneration given to him months before using language curiously that mirrored exactly what Obama said about Hillary being careless and not intending to break the law. Uh, you have Peter Strzok and other officials uh, watering down potential language to make it easier on Hillary. You have them talking about some sort of an investigation being an insurance policy against Trump. The whole thing stinks to high heaven. And quite honestly, the, the longer that FBI and DOJ and House Democrats try and hide this, the worse the conspiracy theories are going to get. So just for the good of the Republican, for uh, the good of Democratic governance, we need all the facts out there so we can kind of dispense with all the conspiracy theories on the left and right and just make judgments based on the actual facts. Oh, just one more thing I want to throw in there. You got a piece up on The Federalist. Obama's campaign paid $972,000 to a law firm at secretly paid Fusion GPS in 2016. What happened here? So we learned, uh, I think it was late last year, that a law firm was being used as an intermediary by DNC and the Hillary campaign to pay Fusion GPS for the shoddy dossier that they used to launch an investigation against Trump. And they didn't actually release that uh, until they uh, nearly had to give up all their bank records to the House Intel Committee. And they, they released this info under duress to, to hopefully tilt the scales in the court case about those bank records. And you look at the actual records and you say, wait a minute, the Obama campaign wasn't active at all in 2016 because Obama wasn't running. Yet they spent almost a million bucks to this exact same law firm that was funneling money uh, to Fusion GPS in order to run this uh, Russia conspiracy against Trump. Uh, I would like to know a lot more about what that uh, nearly million dollars was actually used for because I don't understand how a dormant campaign with nobody on the ballot – needed to spend a million bucks on legal fees? Very good question. <laughs> a question I want answered, too. Sean Davis, everybody, check out his latest on thefederalist.com. Great site, excellent analysis. And, uh, Sean, we always appreciate you joining us. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Going to close it out with some uh, roll call, team, so stay right there. Buck is back, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today in the Freedom Hut. Also, a special thanks to all of you who have been uh, downloading and checking out the Shields High History Podcast. Fall of Constantinople Part 1 is already up. Part 2 will be coming this Monday. Now you get to find out what it was really like in those last days 
at the Theodosian Walls with uh, 70,000, 80,000 Turks ready to overrun them, impale the survivors, do all kinds of terrible, horrific stuff, and the stakes of the battle being, well, not just temporal, but for many of those fighting, it's celestial as well, the future of humankind and the great holy war of the time also brought into that whole uh, situation. So, you know, there you go. Check it out. Shields High. Uh, you can go find it on iTunes. Please do leave a review if you don't mind. That would be a big help uh, on iTunes if you give us a little review there. People look at that and they say, hmm, and the more reviews, the better, everyone. So don't see it and say, oh, he's got a five-star review because a five-star review, think of it like Amazon. A five-star review from four people is not nearly as indi- uh, as much of an indicator as a four-and-a-half-star review from 3,000 people, right? So the more reviews, even if you're just going to give me a star rating, the better. Hopefully at least four stars. But, you know, hey, you got to do what your conscience dictates on the reviews. But please do leave some reviews up on iTunes for the Shields High podcast as we try to continue getting that going. Uh, all right, we got some emails here. This is on officialteambuck at gmail.com. Uh, we've got this one in Buck and Mike. Uh Welcome to the job, Mike. You're in good company, and the future is bright with this team. Just ordered my Shields High t-shirt to cultivate some positive vibes as uh, this early spring season unfolds. Shields High, brother, from Brian. Well, Brian, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Very, very nice of you. Rita writes in with this one. Animal Kingdom. This is a show uh, recommendation. Ellen Barkin is the mother and head of her own crime family. Her boys are hunky surfer dudes. With gorgeous girlfriends. Lots of backstabbing and manipulation. Can't wait for season three. Rita, I've never even heard of Animal Kingdom, the show, but I'll have to. No? Oh, you guys are, what do you think? No? Yeah? Mike? All right. Quinn, also known as Mike, also known as Quinny, also known as Mikey, uh, is saying yes. And Brandon is saying, no, you don't know. Okay, no opinion. No opinion. You can plead the fifth on the shows, but never heard of it. Okay, so that's fine. But uh, I, I have never heard of it either, so maybe I'll have to check this one out, but we'll see. Jer- oh, I'm sorry. This one's from Josh. Hey, Buck, I've been listening to you since you were on The Blaze following Glenn's program. I would listen to you on the app since I couldn't find you on the radio at NYC where I drive a truck. I just finished Wednesday's podcast and heard you talk about the Shields High planned expansion. I think it's a great idea. Um, did I read these yesterday? Do these sound familiar? Did I-, I can't remember now. It's Oh, okay. Well... Anyway, thank you, brother, for the very kind note about the expansion of Shields High, and I hope I am keeping things uh, lively as you're listening to the show in the truck. All right, now we'll get into some uh, some of the Facebook version of Roll Call. As we got a few more minutes here, I get to hear from all of you. Just listen to yesterday's podcast. This one's from Mark. Wow, didn't expect the message to be read on air, and I'd be happy to send you a bottle of mead <laughs> once I have more ready. I only make small batches, and the the bottles get scooped up quickly. Uh, is mead like honey liquor? Does that sound right? I think I feel like it's wheat and honey, right? Isn't that what's in mead? I don't even know. I'm sure Mark, the mead maker, who wants to make Freedom Hut mead, I feel like he can give us all a tutorial. So, Mark, next next Facebook message, tell me how one makes mead, and why doth thou makest the tastiest mead? I'm sure you do. Uh, we have. Robert, writing in book, a note from the University of North Texas. I thought you might appreciate. Okay, well, this is a, a photo, so that's no fun, but it's a cute, uh, nice cartoon. Thank you for sending it, and I can't really 
describe it on air because a cartoon being described by me is not going to work. Matthew, a question I've not heard asked yet. If it is so important for DACA people to become U.S. citizens, why haven't they started the process? Well, Matthew, if you are, in fact, in the country illegally, and I think if you I forget what the specific rules are. I know if you overstay a visa by a full year, I think you are legally barred from the country for for five years. It might be 10 years, one or the other. Uh, but once you're already in the country illegally, there is really no process for you to be in the country legally that does not require you to go home to your country of origin and then start the very long and onerous process. So that's why they haven't started, because they'd have to go home. You, you can't be in the country illegally and become legal based on the current immigration laws that are in effect. Uh, Aries writes in with the following. Great podcast today. You were hitting it on all cylinders. Um, so there you go. All right. Thank you, Aries. I listened to it with someone who's Sean's fan, who's normally critical of you, that loved your show. All right. I'll take it. I just listened to your segment on the Kurds, and you're 100% right on all levels. When Turkey didn't allow the fourth ID to pass through Iraq, we should have started reevaluating the nature of our situation with them. Uh, well, thank you, Aries, for the uh, very nice note. I appreciate it. Uh, Jesse wrote in with this one. Narco season two, yay or nay? I love season one. Uh, I value your opinion like gold. Well, Jesse, since you value my opinion on TV shows like gold, let me first say you have fantastic taste in the opinions of who you should listen to when it comes to tell. You know what I'm saying? Listening to me is the right move on TV, says says me. Uh, but you uh, should definitely ch- check out Narco Season 2 and Season 3. I think you can even make a case that Season 3 may be the best season of Narcos, which is saying a lot, but it was really, really good. Um, so here we go. James writes in, oh, he first sent me a link about Syria, and then wrote, heard you talk about this on the podcast today. Glad you're picking up on the story. Seems the U.S. has moved on. James, I agree, man. A lot of people have moved on from this, and I have not moved on uh, very much. So, so, you know, I want to keep focus on this because I think we owe our uh, friends, the Kurds, who have been doing so much good work and taking a lot of casualties, a lot of heat fighting against the Islamic State. Uh, We owe them more than just forgetting about them. And letting the Turks, I mean, look, the, the Turks are bombing a whole area of, of uh, Afrin in northern Syria. And they're saying that these are PKK terrorists. Okay, first of all, there's a lot of different ethnic groups and, and religious groups that are in this area of northern Syria. So what, what is he going to tell me? That the, the Christians and the, uh, the Yazidis in the area, they're part of the PKK too? I don't think so. I don't think they're part of the Kurdistan Workers Party, right? They're, they're not even Kurdish necessarily. So... That's the the Turks. We don't really want to deal with the reality here because they're the look, it's it's a country that we like to think of as a close ally because of NATO. But Turkish policy and U.S. policy have been diverging for a long time and someone needs to call them to account for it. All right. That's going to be it for today on the show here in the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for hanging out. Already thinking about tomorrow's show. It's going to be a doozy. So be sure to be here. Same time, same place as always. Shields high.